Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the 16th of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at thebuglepodcast.com. That, that bit's important. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Bugle Ashes Zoltzcast, the crucial preview of the crucial second men's test in the Ashes this summer, which could come down to the crucial toss, followed by a crucial first hour and then any number of crucial next hours, even crucial 20 minutes, crucial fractions of milliseconds. Such is the fine balance of this series. I am Andy Zoltzman and I know what you're asking. Why do stats suddenly appear every time I am near? Uh, there's a simple answer to that. I've just found cricket stats to be an extremely reliable distraction and uh, insulation from all reality. I am joined for the Bugle Ashes Zoltzcast, uh, which we will not call the Bazcast, because we're trying to avoid the term, any term beginning with Baz. Brendan doesn't like it. it Brendan does not like it. And, uh, yep, we're calling it S&M Cricket, Stokes and McCullum Cricket. Um, uh, I'll be joined henceforth by none other... Than former Australian captain Alan Border. Sorry, by one other than Alan Border. <laughs> it's producer Chris, the man who makes husbands. Je- sorry, the man who makes podcasts <laughs> happen. Uh, Chris. Well, I mean, this is this is in cricketing podcast terms a long-awaited reunion because the first time we worked together was on a uh, BBC radio show. Yes, it's the Ashes. Yes. In 2000. We've got the old band back together, albeit that the old band has also been working together on the Bugle for, what, 13, 14 years now? We we, ha- we have made programmes before, but not enough about cricket. <laughs> and, and 2009 was a, a, a winning series for England. So yeah. if, if, if the listeners are England fans, that's surely a, a crucial sign. Absolutely. Um, and, I mean, we're looking for psychological advantages for England after that narrow defeat in the first test in a game that they f***ing should have won um, and well Jimmy Anderson pitched the ceremonial first pitch uh, in the Major League Baseball games in uh, London last weekend I read about this in an article on the Guardian website and he and Nathan Lyon pitched alongside each other Anderson was in a Cubs jersey Lyon was in a Cards jersey the Cubs won that game 9-1 I mean how can Australia Ignore that sign of destiny, Chris. I can't, I uh, they're can. done for. They're absolutely done for. I'm genuinely intrigued, though. Who 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 bowled a better curveball? And <laughs> the, the swing bowler or the spin bowler? <laughs> well, it was quite hard to see. I was sitting about 150 metres away, um, somewhere over left field. It was a bit hard to see the subtlety of, mm. you know, where that line put a bit more top spin on it or Anderson cut his fingers on who knows who knows but anyway uh, it's cl- it's clear that England are going to uh, win the win the ashes on the back of those uh, of that baseball game um so i mean chris you you watched a lot of the first 
the first test what was you know i've talked about it a lot on the on this show a lot of stats um as as a someone not immersed in it as i was how how did it affect your life yeah i uh, cancelled a lot of meetings over those days because <laughs> uh, all of a sudden i'd been pulled into something um it was it was a really weird game because i thought both teams played exactly in the style you'd expect but at a lower standard than you would expect <laughs> And 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 so so you know it's quite weird seeing baseball played in a nervous way. It's it's like you know we're gonna we're gonna gun it, but we're also a little bit scared. And that's <laughs> like sort of I don't like people being skittish with guns. It's kind of not not the way to do things. <laughs> yes, and well, I mean this. We all, I've got some stats on actually the importance of second test, but it feels like. If England has a bad game at Lords, uh, you know whether they, you know, I mean they might they might play quite well again and still lose. But if they have a bad game at Lords, that will be the real challenge for mm. this this approach and whether whether they can play it with a bit of flexibility. So Lords, Chris, the uh, home of cricket, a trademark. Um, <laughs> it's uh, obviously the second oldest test ground in London, as Daniel Norcross, my TMS colleague and Surrey fan, likes to point out that it uh, took another four years after the first uh, oval test before Lords got got its uh, got its test. It's not quite the Australian stronghold that it was. That series in two thousand and nine documented England's first win at Lords since nineteen thirty four. So, do you, I mean, does does it feel that then they won again in 2013? Obviously, they got absolutely hammered in 2015, and it was a rain-affected draw in 2019. But I think that that aura of the Aus- Australiac Lords dominance might have been broken. Yeah, well, 2009 was a weird one for Australian bowlers, wasn't it? Um, so where that where that started because they had quite English-style bowlers in that system, didn't they? Have, I think. Um, well, okay. Peter Siddle was one of their bowlers. Yeah. Who was their top wicket taker in that series and in that match? Oh well, was it Hilfenhaus? It was Ben Hilfenhaus. Right. Yeah, he Twenty-two was a, he wickets was a in the series. English team. Mitchell Johnson, I seem to remember, sprayed it around somewhat as Cook and Strauss went at an yes. uncharacteristic rate. Uncharacteristic rate on that uh, on that first day. The 2013 match contained what I think might be the worst single delivery <laughs> in the history of Test cricket. Um, in terms of the number of mistakes packed into one ball. And I'm sure cricket fans remember this fondly, particularly England cricket fans, because it worked out well for England. Graham Swan, England's best spinner yep. of yes, of the post-Derek Underwood era, um, uh, certainly. Brilliant bowler, took nine wickets in that game. But one of them was Chris Rogers, very fine test opener for Australia, uh, and a, a brilliant couple of years coming into the team uh, in, his, in his mid-30s. But Swan bowled him the filthiest full toss, which Rogers missed... It hit him on the leg. England appealed. It was wrongly given out, <laughs> and Rogers did not refer the decision. Yeah. So basically, it was a shit ball, a shit shot, shit umpiring, and then another <laughs> shit bit decision of making shit after decision after the shit making. umpiring. It's possible. I mean, the only thing it didn't have was a misfield. But I mean, you can't, you can't, <laughs> you couldn't have a misfield unless it had popped up and you know the, the you know Matt Pryor had swallowed it in his mouth or something. As, as a you know, as, as the low-level cricketers we are, Chris, every now and again, you see a moment in elite sport, and it raises the soul, and you think, "Yeah, I could have done that," and, and I reckon I could have pretty much done any of those four elements: the ball, the shot, the umpiring, and the failure to refer. 
Do you not think as well with Harry Brook bowling in the England side now, there there is the window for the likes of you and I. So there was there was the Swan Rogers ball back then. Every time I watch Brook bowl now, I'm thinking maybe I do have a future as a Test match cricketer. <laughs> he does bowl as if he's slightly bowling and slightly trying to remove a shirt. Yeah. Um, at the same time, it's beautiful. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So the selection England have made for this match, uh, they have left out Moen Ali, um, who had a strange game. It was almost the classic Moen Ali game in Birmingham. He bowled some really, really good balls, took some really good wickets. He had some chances missed off him, which might have sent the narrative of his individual game on a completely different course if he'd picked up another couple of first innings wickets. Um, But he ended up with uh, not particularly good bowling analysis, two cameos which featured each one featured the most beautiful elegant yeah. stroke for six you could imagine but then he was out in the teens uh both times and he, he battled uh heroically through a finger injury that ultimately made him um completely ineffective towards the end it was almost you know the the brilliance and frailty of Moeen Ali as a as a test cricketer um summed up in in one game but he's not playing this match they brought in Josh Tongue who played against at Ireland, who was a surprise pick for the Ireland test. And I, I don't think surprise quite covers it to bring him in in a Lord's Ashes test. Uh, it's how do you see it as a, I mean, you, have you ever selected a cricket team? It's quite, I mean, I imagine it's quite tricky to get all the balances right. Well, well, I, my, my cricket team selection was largely based around who has a car. And can fit the kit in it to the away game. Well, it's possible that that, they're bringing that back into England selection. Um, He doesn't even have, like, if you were to look at surprise county picks, I mean, his average, say, compared to a Sam Cooke as a youngster or a Chris Rushworth at the other end of the scale, (laughs) is not exactly glorious, is it? So so why is he picked? Well, um, he's picked, as far as I can make out, Chris, because of the type of bowler he is. As you say, his numbers are okay in county championship. I did some digging around in the Crickvis data. And against the top players in the county championships, I've looked at him specifically against players averaging 38 or more. That's the top 55 players in the county championship over the last uh, five seasons, uh, including the Bob Willis Trophy in the in the trunk, COVID truncated 2020 season. And he averages 56 against those high bracket batters 
He's about two-thirds of the way down the list in terms of average of bowlers who bowled 500 or more balls at that that top bracket of county batters. By comparison, Sam Cook, you mentioned, who's not been picked from Essex, he's sixth on the list, averaging 26. The top two, interestingly, are Ollie Robinson and James Anderson, <laughs> who have great records against the best players in county cricket. Ollie Robinson, who has... Had a lot of criticism from you know former Australian legends after his uh, less than optimal um, behaviour in, in the last test. He has a phenomenal record against good players in international and domestic cricket. I was and this is a niche stat, Chris, but I was looking at I've been looking with the wonders of the cricket system. Uh, bowlers through Test history bowling at top seven mm. batters who are on twenty five or more. So. Top seven batters who are well set. Who are set, yeah, okay. And Robinson's average is the best of all time out of the 464 bowlers who have bowled more than a thousand balls at wow. top seven batsmen on 25 or more. Robinson averages 17.6 against those players, 26 wickets. The next best is a chap called C.L. Vincent, who played for South Africa in the 20s and 30s, who averaged 22.8. Uh, so he's way ahead of a lot of very good bowlers bowling at good players who are well set. So uh, the idea that he was described as bowling nude nuts by Matthew Hayden, and you know there are times when Robinson does look like he's bowling uh, nude nude nuts. I don't know, you know, what what his his view of nude nuts is uh, in whether as nuts or however you want to interpret the term uh, nude nuts, but he does have. He's, he's, his bald stats are good, 70-odd wickets, average 21. It's one of the best starts to a test career of any England seamer. Um, but that, that's an interesting aspect of his... Because he, you know, he looks like a kind of... You know, bowls 80, 83 mm. miles an hour, not super fast, uh, moves it around, very skillful, but not the kind of player you think could blast out set players. But he has this extraordinary record of, of doing that. So I, I said before the series that I thought he was England's key player. Um, he did... He started the first test not that well, but ended up with five wickets in the game uh, for less than 100 runs, I think. Uh, if England are going to get back into it, I think he needs to have a series of sort of big career-defining games. Big nude nuts. <laughs> we and need some big nude nuts all over the Lord's outfield, which hasn't been seen for a while. Do you think he's sort of money, money-balling his way through it? He's looked at the stats of all the greatest fast bowlers of all time. And he's looked at the speeds that they have bowled at and he's thought, yeah, well, Brett Lee was exciting, but Glenn McGrath took a load of wickets. <laughs> Mark Wood's exciting, but look at Jimmy Anderson's record. Maybe he's just going there. Why do I need to start fast and get slower when I can just nail them with my nude nuts? <laughs> well, n- nude nuts, uh, if the internet has taught us anything, is that nude nuts can be highly profitable. And <laughs> uh, uh, so clearly Robinson has thought that. And, you know, a speed is sort of overrated through through cricket history. Speed without movement uh, doesn't do a lot. Robinson is, you know, quick enough, particularly if there's anything in the pitch that's... Uh, and, and he bowls from a very, very high release point. That's more of the data that shows he has one of the highest release points of any bowler in international cricket. So he is awkward, even if he's not su- super quick. But I think England will need some big wickets from him uh, during this series if they're to, if they're to come back. Andy, uh, w- there's loads we could talk about that, but yeah. I think we should pay some attention to England's batting lineup. Is, yes. is that is that not um, with broader eight? Is that not going to be the bigger challenge? Well, Chris, I mean that's you might say that that it looks 
like uh, an insane selection from that point of view. And I do think tail end batting is something that isn't considered quite enough in selection generally. But there's something with Stuart Broad. Stuart Broad, when he first came in the England team, was a very, very good lower order player. Um, he got uh, several 50s against really good bowling attacks early in his career. Mm. So almost his batting started to decline the more established he got as a bowler. He got that century against Pakistan in a slightly dubious match at Lords in mm. in 2010. And his batting had declined long before he was hit in the face by that ball from Varun Aaron, the Indian pace bowler, in t- 2014. It fell off a cliff about 18 months after that. It wasn't an immediate thing. And there have been signs of flickering recently, but it's yeah. been so long since he played as... He played like a, he used to play like a proper batter. He used to yeah. build innings and go. So it's almost like they're trying to play mind games with Stuart Broad, who has become, to all intents and purposes, a slogging number ten and a half. By just putting him at eight, maybe it'll flick that switch in his brain, and he'll go back fifteen years and be the proper number eight that he was. I don't know. It does seem like a long till both he and Robinson have some talent with the bat. Um, that's largely unfulfilled. Robinson batted well in that first test. He's had a few decent innings over the winter. Uh, and also, everyone said Australia's tail was weak in the first test, and Australia's tail won them the game. So maybe that it's, it's mind games that actually the weaker your tail, the better they bat. Uh, that is a small statistical sample, uh, one innings. But let's, you know, we love to, to grab onto to small statistical samples in cricket. So let's let's grab onto that one. Do you think that the test will result in a humiliation for one of the sides as per the trend of recent Ashes matches at Lords? Uh I don't think so. I, I hope not. And that's what you know, we've had some pretty one-sided Ashes matches and series in recent years and that was you know the glory of that first test was the constant swings and I talked about how you know there weren't sort of big clatters of wickets and particularly in the second innings and there weren't big partnerships, so it was a constant just nudge here and there. Um, and you know, in the women's test, which we'll talk about briefly uh, as well, there was just similar kind of fluctuations during the course of the of the game. That was more sort of batting dominated in the in the first innings. I don't think it's there's going to be blowouts, but if you think back to last summer, the the one time that England's Baz Ballistics failed as a batting side was against South Africa. Um, and that you know they've had. They had a couple of poor innings against New Zealand, but the, the one time it, it really failed was the Lords against South Africa, mm. uh, when they were skittled in both innings in no time at mm. all. That was a high-class seam attack uh, on a helpful pitch, and there's talk that this pitch might help England's bowlers more. The problem is that doesn't help England's batters, and it does help Australia's bowlers. So there is a chance that uh, it might you know England either side could skittle the other if there's some juice in the pitch but you know this series there's so many you know unknowables that's the, the glories of it now, as I say about stat a statistic is like a ventriloquist dummy if you shove your hand far enough up it you can make it say whatever the f*** you want and you know so that's why we can prove that anything will happen and we will find over the next few days what actually does happen <laughs> So, Andy, obviously, first test, that's done and dusted. But effectively, that, that's just like the meat getting to the holding hand stage. Yes. The second test is where it's at, right? This, this, is, this is where the action truly happens. Uh, absolutely, Chris. People often say, oh, you've got to win the first test to win the Ashes. I've done some stats, Chris. I have been communing with my spreadsheets. I had a romantic evening in with Microsoft Excel. Other spreadsheets are available. And I've looked at the impact of winning the first and second test in terms of who wins the eventual series. I've looked at all Ashes series in which four or more tests have been played, which is most of them, 
Uh, 45 first tests have had uh, one side or other winning. The team that's won the first test has gone on to win 32 of those 45 series, but lose 10 of them. 47 second tests have had a positive result, and the winner of those second tests, 38 times out of 47, has gone on to win the series. So that's an 81% series win percentage for whoever wins the second test, which is 10% more than the 71% for the team winning the first test. Uh, There's a broader, similar trend across all of test cricket, uh, including non-Ashes cricket, which is sometimes hard to remember. Uh, as an Anglo-Australian uh, cricket supporter, there is other cricket available um, and other series do matter. We tend to get a bit obsessed about it uh, at, in, in this country in particular. Um, but broadly, the second test is more decisive than the first mm. in a long series. So we can ignore the fact that England lost the game. They should have fucking won and just focus on the fact that they'll undoubtedly win the second one and set us up for an all-time classic series. Andy, one final thing for me before the end of the programme. Uh, I thought Tammy Beaumont's double century was a thing of beauty. I absolutely love the way that she bats. Uh, talk to me about double centurions in losing causes. Sure, oh, sure, surely there can't be many of those. There are not many of those. England, in fact, uh, I mean, I like, I like what you say about Beaumont. There's a, she, there's a lot of wrist work goes mm. into her her strokes. There's, uh, it's quite flamboyant. Um, it's the kind of stroke play that if she'd been a man. In about 1920, Neville Cardus would have been absolutely losing his shit in the press box about. Uh, Beaumont was the eighth double century in women's tests. She's the first of those eight to end up on the losing side. Sophie Eccleston had ten wickets in the match. Um, She's the first to take ten in a test uh, in women's cricket and end on the losing side. Never... In men's or women's tests, has a team had both a double centurion and a 10 wickets in the match bowler and ended up losing? And it had oh. only happened, if I could remember my own stat, which I've temporarily lost, I think it was four or five times in over 60,000 first class matches um, in, in men's cricket. So it's an incredibly rare event. So, yeah, England played a lot of really good cricket, um, but they were defeated by. Essentially, the spin of uh, of Ash Gardner, 12 wickets in the match, second best on the all-time list. It's one of those strange things, Chris, uh, that 12 for 165 is considered less good than 13 for 226. In the same way that you know 9 <laughs> for 1 would be considered less good than 10 for 23,000. It's one of those curiosities of cricket stats that's always baffled me uh, alongside why the f*** we use two decimal places in things like averages and strike rates. I digress. Uh, it was the You'd highest scoring... you want three, is that right? <laughs> I want one, max. I want three digits, max, <laughs> in any cricket stat. Anything else is unnecessary. Uh, the th- the 1,371 runs, can I still use the one on the end of that? Uh, I'm breaking my own rules here. Uh, in the match was a record for a women's test. 228 more runs than the previous highest scoring test. It was the high- fastest scoring women's test, at about mm. 3.7 and over. Only the seventh women's test in which all four... 40 wickets have fallen and part of that was the fact that it was a five-day game and just we saw the improvements in women's uh, women's international cricket with uh, more professionalism uh, more, more t20 franchise leagues the batters dominated the seamers and it took two high quality spinners to keep it in check it was a really excellent match that i think all cricket fans enjoyed and i think all cricket fans would like to see more uh, more women's test cricket and uh, everyone says that every year and uh, it's starting to trickle 
you know, to, to more than a game every two years. We're getting maybe a game a year or sometimes two games a year. Uh, and you know, hopefully it will expand um, and people will realise that it's, uh, it's... Well, I mean, I don't like the, the term product when it comes to sport, but it <laughs> is uh, a product that is improving rapidly. It's a wonderful brand. Uh, so, well, that's it for uh, the Bugle Ashes Zoltzcast Lords preview. Um, uh, hugely excited about the game, um, at which I will be working, if I can stretch the meaning of the word work, uh, with Test Match Special. So do tune into the commentary. We will have a, uh, a Zoltzcast every morning uh, during the Test Match. Chris, prediction? Uh, it's going to be a heavy Australia win, Andy. Uh, well, I love your pessimism. Um <laughs> Pessimism is the path to happiness because you cannot be disappointed if you've started out expecting the worst. What do so, you think? Well, I don't know. As with the first test, I think different things in different moments of different minutes. Uh, and, uh, yeah, well, it all comes down, as I said at the start, to the crucial toss, the crucial first hour and the crucial next hour and the crucial hours after that. But I think, I hope England will fight back. I fear you might be more right than me. Until tomorrow, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.